Chica, chica, chica. If you wanna be my lover, gonna go with my friend. We're gonna be the best of friends. Uh, this is not where I thought we were going. It's gonna be interesting. <laughs> it, it's so funny hearing the order talk about you, Frama. It's like, oh god, she knows too much. Your friend was like, dee, 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 dee. yeah, no, I, I, I travel and don't have a steady job. I also did not know that was coming at all, honestly. Okay. Yeah, no, that was not established as part of like the world building around the order. So that's very and funny. The when the operator guy reacted to it, I couldn't help but peek. Like I watched it go up on my thing. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is your host and keeper, Kat. This week we're doing something a little different. We're doing a post-arc discussion episode that we're calling DLG2DLG2TA, or Disaster Lesbian's Guide to Disaster Lesbian's Guide to the Apocalypse. I sat down with Erin and Erica to talk about our thoughts on the Vandervoort mystery, the actual historical facts involved in the real-life legend, and where things are going to go for both of their characters. In two weeks, we'll be back with our second mystery and a brand new monster for everyone to fear, so keep your ears out for that episode. If you aren't listening to Diet Coke and Lilith's House of Snacks, which you should, now is the perfect time to listen. If you start with a November 7th, 2023 episode, you'll also get the treat of hearing some of my writing. It's very funny. And uh, while we're on the topic of my writing, I have been kind of avoiding talking about this, but I'm going to use our platform here to let you know that I am re writing a really, really good fan fiction that I've been putting out for the last two months on AO3. I know that's a oxymoronic statement to a lot of you, but I promise it's good. You're going to need a lot of context for it, so I recommend picking up Stargazy Pie by Victoria Goddard and starting there, then reading all six of the books that come after that, and like the three companion novellas. It's worth your time. Or you could just read the fic if you felt like it, but please make sure you do check the tags and the rating before you read it. Uh, you can find me under my usual name, Zaftycat, on AO3. If you're on Blue Sky, you can find each of us individually at our usual handles. If you miss the shit posting, you'll find it on Blue Sky. We also elected to create a new Tumblr blog at Danger Square Media, where we do episode write-ups, new game announcements, and general art sharing. If you don't use either platform but want to keep up to date or just prefer a newsletter, email us at admin at dangersquare.ca with the subject line, Danger Square Newsletter. That will also help us gauge whether or not we want to start making an email distribution list so that you can get all those announcements in your inbox if social media isn't your thing. If you'd like to support us, there are a few ways you can do that. First, you can tell someone about the show. We thrive on word of mouth, and our goofy brand of weird is the perfect thing to recommend to your friends, your polycule, your found family, your biological family, or your favorite ghosts and ghouls. We're fans of good pods for their really neat shareability features, but whatever you prefer works for us. If you do leave a review, let us know via Skeet or Tumblr message and you'll get a shout out on the show. Without further ado, let's talk about saving the world.
it really is very funny to me that you're basically doing Dean Winchester cosplay today. <laughs> it's a comfy jacket. It's just also kind of kind of a Dean outfit. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking that when I picked it up. Four topics, I believe, are history of the mystery, um, any literary inspirations or like other types of inspiration I might have taken, um, stuff you guys didn't get a chance to discover, and consequences that we want to emphasize going forward. Consequences will never be the same. Had to, uh let the doggy use the restroom so sorry if i'm late that's fair okay so welcome to the very first episode of talking dice our sort of recap podcast that we're doing after each mystery maybe depending on how this goes i hope so because i like the idea i like the idea, I'm not, idea. I'm not sold on the name uh i mean neither am i it's just sort of a really stupid joke <laughs> It's the the point is that it's sort of a bit joke, but also something we're doing slightly earnestly. Regardless, yeah. Um, so there are a couple of things that we're sort of pre-planning to talk about. The first one should probably um, be Emma is asleep. Yes, Emma went back to sleep to uh, make sure that they had enough sleep for a night shift tonight. So uh, we'll be talking about some stuff with Emma on a separate recording that'll get spliced into this episode, but they won't be here for the bulk of it. Uh, So the general topics that I thought might be interesting for us to talk through are, um, first, the history of the mystery. Um, And the rhyme is there because it sounds good i guess i don't know it, it's i like it it feels a little twee and oh no that, it, it's very that, cat it's fine okay then we won't change it uh but the history of the mystery um so we've talked about it in fits and spurts through the recording of the first six episodes but um the Vandervoort sisters are actually a real Central Park set of ghosts, mm-hmm. according to local folklore. Uh, they are not, however, as Bev vehemently assumed, <laughs> a cautionary tale, because their story isn't about them falling through the ice. It's just that they really like that pond, and as ghosts, they go back there to ice skate because one of the few things their extremely overprotective father would allow them to do was go to the Central Park Pond and ice skate because they weren't really particularly allowed out. Neither of them married, and they died within a couple of months of each other, according to legend. Now, Aaron, I know you did a lot of independent research on this. Yes like me to jump in with with some stuff was is there any indication that these two people were actually like actually real so i could not find any records of death or uh cemetery plots looking them up as jan and rosetta vandervoort um the main thing that i really came across was there's two different times when they supposedly died either in the 1880s or around 1915 so that like doubles the area that I that I need to search. Yeah. It also didn't help that I wasn't willing to pay for the websites that have this oh, information. God, no. So <laughs> I made a whole new email address for it so I don't get spam from them as it is. <laughs> I'm not paying them. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um so 
Yeah, so the email is cryptidyuffie at proton.me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, the, the other details about the story are stuff that I came up with while I was writing the mystery. There's no record of their dad being named Sutton Vandervoort. Just made that up. Um, yep. Whole cloth made that up. Um, just like I made up Zelda Vandervoort and Kermit Vandervoort. Kermit Vandervoort being explicitly named after Kermit Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's son. Um, Both appropriate names, though. Mm -hmm. So, like, a lot of this story was just taking this local legend and giving it a little bit more pizzazz. So, growing up in, like, the tri-state area, is this a legend you knew? No. Okay. Not even slightly. I am both not a paranormal person and not from that region, so I I wasn't sure if it was like like there's there's a chance that it was in one of the weird New York books. Sure, likely, like especially around Christmas time, they probably would have ran something about it. Uh, Now, like to be clear, there's no weird New York magazine. There were just books that the Weird New Jersey team researched and published. Yeah, Uh, Weird New Jersey, on the other hand, I am a annual subscriber to. It's very good. It's a really good magazine. And the ad space that they sell probably isn't that expensive because some of these shops, I have no idea how they stay in business. Oh, one thing I would like to throw in here is pointing out that the distinction between Woolman Pond, where the active skating does happen in Central Park, and this little out-of-the-way pond where the sisters are seen is... I'm very glad that was included. It wasn't just, like, overlooked in research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, the, there's the pond in Central Park South... And, like, then there's Walman Pond, which is supposedly, like, where they skated and where the skating happens. And it, it's just, I wanted to make sure that we kept the things that are distinct, distinct. Yeah. Um, the queerness is something I also sort of made up because, you know, generally speaking, we don't have a lot of good historical record of queer people because it wasn't something that was talked about. Like, unless there are existing diaries, and, you know, it, it, the, the reason we have any information about Anne Lister is because of her own extensive diaries, right? And, like, we wouldn't have known that there was a lesbian marriage that occurred in the UK in, like, the early to mid-1800s without those really, really extensive diaries. Uh, now, Anne Lister, noted piece of shit. <laughs> I... You know, every, everything I know and everything we know historically about her politics makes me think I would hate her. So much a, so much a Tory that she absolutely refused to even support her own voting rights. I think I was listening to a show yesterday about Ann Lister, actually. I, I appreciate <laughs> the dedication Friday. to your convictions, you know? <laughs> I mean, sure. God, did she hate the wigs? It's a whole, it's a whole, like, there's, (laughs) so like, at one point there was a splinter group from the regular Tories called the Ultras, who, instead of just being regular conservatives, wanted to also continue to enshrine the divine right of kings and aristocracy into modern Britain. And she was a part of that group, despite the fact that if they had their way, she would never have any rights. Just a deeply confusing person. Um, And again, a real piece of shit. So the one thing that we do know, though, is that the legend says that Jenna and Rosetta never married. And that's like a very essential part of their 
legend is the protectiveness of their father and them dying as spinsters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes that is fairly heavily coded language that gets used to describe queer people confirmed bachelors you know is like that that in in that same way the gentlemen who are confirmed bachelors um president buchanan for example you know just guys being dudes but in this case it's just girls being gays i don't know (laughs) i've the there's no the the natural state of woman is gay (laughs) but uh, like it, it, I don't think it's a tremendous leap to go from spinsters to maybe there was something that they had, someone that they had in their life outside of just, you know, their siblings as like a person who mattered to them and who they spent their time with, but they just didn't have the language and the historical record keeping is such that there's no real way we would have known that. So I, I think it fit the story because the other thing that I wanted to do was I didn't want to have their father be overprotective because he was like a misogynist or because of weird ideas about purity or anything like that because I think it's more interesting to have an exploration of a character who whose motivation is not like control or fear but very specifically like love and a protectiveness that comes from not wanting to keep them from being sullied but rather to keep them from a world that would harm them for who they are and I think that like it was important to me that the first villain that we encounter has some real understandable and, uh, you know, motivation that you can sympathize with, right? Because I think that sort of sets the tone for where the rest of the show goes. If we start with just another generic evil ghost, it yeah, totally. puts us on a very Eric Kripke-inspired path that I explicitly want to subvert. And it's a lot more fun when we're not running in trying to destroy the ghost the first time we meet it. Yeah. Uh, So now that we've sort of (laughs) gone through the history of the mystery and everything like that, I want to talk about uh, a little bit about like characters and consequences and stuff like that. Um, You know, I think the really noteworthy things within this mystery, a lot of those happen to center around Riley, right? Yeah. I mean, I think Riley has... Um, the, the backstory, which requires the most introduction to, right? Like right. Riley has a very complex backstory and so does everyone else, but like they are concepts people are familiar with probably a paranormal investigator, you know, um, and like Bev filling the role of uh, in effect, the every man, right. Mm-hmm. The, um, the every person. Um, the, 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 the the non-binary gender fucked, uh, (laughs) like, you know, a person that everyone can understand. Yeah, everyone relates to that entirely, right? Um. I can't understand not relating to it. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I think, um, there were certainly a lot of scenes centering around Riley in ways. Yeah, I think, though, that those scenes, like, I feel like I did a pretty good job of distributing oh. the focus of the story. It's just that the decisions Riley was making were more immediately impactful to her. Right. And I think, like, giving consequence to having to juggle the dual life, 
Yeah, there's more immediate stakes at play off the bat. Yeah, you, you, you know, it's very, it's very Hannah Montana in that you kind oh, of God. have to, <laughs> you have to maintain both personas of who Riley is. I hadn't considered the analogy, but it's apt. Yeah. And I feel like Riley would have loved Hannah Montana. Oh, absolutely. Unlike Erica, who totally didn't watch Disney Channel way too late in her life. <laughs> No, I I was I was an even Stevens girl mm. insofar as I was like deeply obsessed with Christy Carlson Romano for a very long time. <laughs> See, um, we did not have cable growing up. We had Citizen Band Satellite, which is like you used to occasionally see there's a jet taking off. <laughs> Um, I don't know, maybe it's not being picked up at all. Um, but you used to occasionally see like very large satellite dishes in people's yards, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like the little direct TV ones and they're, they have motors and you align them with actual geostationary satellites and you change satellites to change channels because each satellite only carries four frequencies. Anyhow, we didn't get Disney Channel. We only got Cartoon Network in Spanish, uh, cause that's the satellite we could locate. Um, (laughs) It was a very strange thing, but you could just watch the ISS, like just the feeds would, you could pick them up on Citizen Band. Anyway. That's pretty cool. It is, but I didn't have a Disney Channel like childhood at all, was the long and short of it. Um, We got Nickelodeon about half the day. Um, Regardless, I, yeah, I think there was a very deliberate choice in designing Riley, like choosing complicated, right? Choosing Mm -hmm. a course that is, that has that set of stakes and that dramatic almost tool for you to pull on, like baked in. Um, Yeah, and and I think we'll start to see that a little bit more with the other characters too. It's just, absolutely, you know, Riley being on a time crunch and everything like that, it for sure made it more, like it it gave you the opportunity to make bold choices and bold choices come with dramatic consequences. And experience points. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I um I think you got the most experience out of all yes. of us. Um also I think aren't we supposed to answer like a set of questions at the end of a mystery or something? Isn't that part of this game? Um probably. Yeah, I think there's an experience mechanic that we skipped, but we can look into that later too. <laughs> no biggie. Yeah, we'll 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 talk through the end of session stuff um maybe before the beginning of the next recording. Makes sense. Um but yeah, like the one thing I want to like kind of do a check-in about was um you know, you had made a decision to go off on your own and get to the cemetery at night on a Saturday night or Sunday night or whatever it was after the matinee. Um, and I feel like I, I said yes to that. And then we didn't go forward with that because you, Erica, misspoke. And I kind of jumped on that to be like, hey, Riley, are you okay? Because you seem a little out of it. Um, would you, would we, would you prefer if we had done that differently? Honestly, no. I think it led to a like really good character moment that was a great opportunity. That's kind and of... And it was born out of like a a sort of discomfort that already existed, right? I, it didn't feel f- mm-hmm. like Forster Railroad or anything. Because um, certainly it was... Like, I, I, I never want to throw off any plans or anything. I just, I very much... I think perhaps sometimes to the detriment of the show, like get into the headspace of my character and just kind of make decisions from there um and i thought it all 
flowed and made sense because yeah, why would I, her I think friends it, it, let it all her felt leave very justified in the middle of the night? Yeah. Uh, like, but but then also, like, you know, there were some clear signs of other stuff going on in the way that Riley was making those excuses and stuff oh, like that. absolutely, and, yeah. You know, I, I think they might have been maybe a little bit more okay with just, like, giving you a check-in and making sure you're okay before letting you go until you made a joke about a grippy sock vacation. Yeah. Because as soon as that happened, everyone was like, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. <sighs> it's a red flag statement. You know, yeah. Uh, my mom told me the same thing when I made that joke. <laughs> Listen, some um, people at certain points in their lives get inpatient, involuntary psychiatric I've, care. <laughs> I've also made jokes about grippy sock vacations before so you're not yeah. like alone in that <laughs> but you're it's right just, it is not like something to like it's definitely not a thing you you expect to hear from your friend on a night out you know yeah. and then certainly after that you don't let them wander off in a strange city on their own <laughs> i have good friends as it turns out <laughs> none we of love them that for our characters yeah None of them particularly wanted to leave their friend who may or may not be experiencing some suicidal ideation just wandering around New York City where you can fall, jump, or do other various things fairly readily. So I think, you know, I, I, I want... it's that, but it, but it is very specifically that sort of consequence of, like, I want RP to have meaningful consequences, too. Right, yeah, Not absolutely. just roles. And... I think that was an example of that done really well. So please don't feel any other way about it. Um, cool. Yeah, because like that's something a, a change that I want to make from the same coin to uh, disaster lesbians is sort of giving you the room to make bold choices, but also having those consequences be more dire and not necessarily sticking to a specific set of story beats that we were going to go through, but rather letting the story beats come from the decisions you guys make. Mm -hmm. um, to that end, um, I wanted to also talk a little bit about um, like some of the decisions or like some of the stuff that I put in front of Euphrema, because it feels like Euphrema had a fairly straightforward sort of investigation that didn't really have a lot of twists and turns to it, but was kind of a little bit linear. It, it was kind of a normal weekend. <laughs> and but like, that's, how I, that's how I was looking at it, as like, Ephraim, I got a call from Pete, go do a thing, okay. And until Riley was at the mausoleum, that went pretty standard. <laughs> yeah, and like, I think the big thing is that I don't know that the investigation is going to go that smoothly in most cases. Mm -hmm. And I want to like talk through maybe some like roadblocks or even like, and this, this we don't have to talk about on the episode, but we could talk about like, you know, I kind of want to know what Euphrema is scared of or like what is going to give Euphrema pause in an investigation that, or like something that might act as a monkey wrench to a standard investigation and mm -hmm. now the thing is that hasn't been a forefront thought of mine because it hasn't come up yet <laughs> mm -hmm. is the only thing yeah so like i i would like to think about like yeah. what euphrem is actually afraid of um i think also we probably could do with you know 
kick some ass is one of the seven or whatever basic moves, right? And that means it does need to show up more often, I think. We just have to figure out how that plays out specifically. Or Because, uh, you know, this was not a kill and destroy mission by any stretch. The investigation and the mystery was about figuring out what went wrong and putting it right. I guess you could have had a fight with those geese. <laughs> I mean, so I did like, attempt, here's the I thing, did attempt to stab a ghost. You, you did successfully stab did. a ghost. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't remember if I rolled so, to kick some ass. But. You so did. Here's the funny thing about the geese, though, is that making you from a so aware of, like, conservation kind of stuff with cryptids and ghosts and stuff, I figured would have clued into the geese are honking for a reason. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um because so like i want to be clear in the way that i set up the fights with the geese um they had a group group harm capacity of eight but harm wasn't explicitly going to kill the geese just scare them away override yeah. the commands that they were being given with their instinct for self-preservation and from the ghost i assume the ghost has geese power still he's not canadian they're from upstate. Canada geese are not Canadian by necessity. They're called Canada geese. So they're Canada by necessity. They're Canada geese. They have citizenship. They don't necessarily live here. Yeah. In fact, uh, a lot of them fly down to Florida for the winter and just really shit it up. <laughs> yep. They've all got their Florida homes that they go to because they don't want to deal with Canadian winter. Can which, Canada geese you know, is my favorite Guilty Gear character. Canada Geese Howard with its pretzel inputs. Canada Geese Howard is your favorite SNK character or your favorite Tekken character. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't speak fighting game. <laughs> um, so I do want to then also talk about some other stuff that maybe didn't come up in the investigation. Um, particularly because you guys acted very quickly, the countdown clock didn't have a lot of chance to move forward um, because if things had taken longer and you had like farted around more and stuff like that, like some named characters would have started getting picked off. And eventually Sutton's level of anger would be such that he wasn't just targeting men anymore. He would start targeting everybody. Um, so like eventually all of the name characters except Bethany would have been at risk just because she wasn't in Central Park at any point. <laughs> but she was at the cemetery. Yeah, again, don't trust Bethany. But, like, um, you know, Harlan Fletcher would have been in pretty serious danger. The gay guy who took you to the French restaurant. I would have been heartbroken if Harlan died. <laughs> yeah. Wait, okay. Was Papa DeLuca Jr. ever in danger? No, because Papa DeLuca Jr. is a fifth dimensional being. Uh, Papa DeLuca Jr. is a prokaryotic being. <laughs> that explains everything. <laughs> That's a real dumb, deep-cut Girl Chan in Paradise joke there for you all. Uh, a thing that I have referenced far too often. It's... Nobody, nobody gets my weird internet animation references. And sometimes I think that's okay. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't watch anime. I don't know. Girl Chan in Paradise is a Flash cartoon <laughs> made by Aaron Hansen of Game Grubs parodying Shonen Battle anime. That makes more sense than that it should. That explains everything. It's, 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 as I remember it, quite funny, but probably has not aged well. 
as is true of a lot of early 2000s flash animation. Um, so yeah, like the the um the locations had a little bit more flesh to them that could have um probably eventually manifested in a more real and consequenceful way, and I think particularly the location types that are outlined in the book are going to start to play into things a little bit more. Like I had Woodlawn Cemetery listed as a maze, but you guys all went there separately. So the function of confusing and separating you probably <laughs> was, it just, it didn't make any sense. Um, and then Bev got a ride anyway. Yeah. Um, the wild uh, central park at large was supposed to be a wilds location, which would contain hidden things, but like that ended up not being super relevant. So yeah, it just we only went back there one time and you encountered Liddell Banks, the park ranger. Yes. Gave me his card. Mm-hmm. He's also a glaciologist. He's studying well, to get his PhD. Out. It said so on his card. Well, I haven't read the card, I guess. Uh, like, you very much say, you know, I, I'm sure he and Riley would get along very well, him being a glaciologist and Riley being a hydrologist. You know, I'm sure we'd have some stuff to talk about. Um... So the last thing I kind of want to go through is um, lasting consequences and like what we want to have, how we want this adventure to affect you going forward. Like, obviously, we have some fairly significant consequences for Riley. Yeah. Um, and Riley had to make a new friend. <laughs> There's a strong <laughs> chance that the Order is going to find out that you didn't actually dispel Janet and Rosetta either. I never claimed to. I said I salted their bones and lit them on fire. Yep. <laughs> Just wait till you remember it's a blog post about it. <laughs> oh god, um, should I actually write a blog post so you know what I put in? <laughs> if you want to, it would be a fun uh, thing to put in the show words, notes. and I need it by Thursday. Pardon? I didn't hear you, cat. I said 1,500 words and I need it by Thursday. Oh god, I don't want to do school again. It's not school, that's journalism, baby. I'm not a journalist. I'm a blogger who travels the country investigating ghosts. Um, so, yeah, like, lasting consequences for Riley are there. Lasting consequences for Euphrema are also there, because now, unbeknownst to her, Euphrema is being actively spied upon. <laughs> Euphrema's gonna die! <laughs> Uh, but I want to open it up to you and ask if there are any consequences you want to, like, really emphasize outside of, or or even just, like, I think uh, I th lessons. You're well, I think yeah. there is a, there's a consequence to be had with, like, Riley's friendships. And, like, I think this is probably the first real hard, like, honest-to-God moment where her two lives have crashed into each other mm -hmm. in a way that was, like... It couldn't easily get out of couldn't just you know yeah like it was fairly disruptively consequential extremely and i think that's probably what's the right word it's anxiety inducing right it is sort of fears realized in a way and also new anxieties about like what my life gets to look like <laughs> Uh, as Riley's theme is really, like, journeying into identity, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Deeply uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> In a good way. Ideal, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and how are you feeling about, like, 
Because Euphrema feels like a character who knows herself in a way that Riley very clearly doesn't. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Euphrema knows herself to be weirder than most, Mm -hmm. but hasn't had to really deal with that by not staying somewhere and being solitary most of the time. So now traveling with someone more normal, I think there might even be things that she doesn't realize anymore that she does. Euphrema's going to have to pick up the Taco Bell wrappers from the floor. Yes, more than once a year. Yeah, to, to the, the very mythical chef Josh passenger seat full of bottles and cans and yep. paper wrappers. And like not not even so much that, but like traveling cross country so long, just not talking to anyone where I figure it'd be like hours into days of just not talking uh-huh. and that being very weird for someone else and have to figure out how to make small talk now. <laughs> Like, after Euphrema stops asking, like, big questions of Riley, what do they talk about? Yeah, because they feel like very different people. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's probably not a lot of shared culture. But I think it would be interesting for us to dig in and try to not necessarily pre-plan, but find a thing that you can start to relate on, you know? And like Something besides the weird. Yeah, and I think that's also going to come into play with Bev, too, because, like, you know, what's... What the Bev doing? What does the Bev do? (laughs) What the dog doing? Get very confused. (laughs) Uh, But like, you know, making the decision to make a huge change and uproot yourself and start to dedicate your life to understanding the paranormal is a big change for them. Mm -hmm. And And going about it in a completely different way than Euphrema did. Mm -hmm. And sort of... Um, you know, trying to figure out what all of it means. And trying, I think like Riley's conflict is who am I? 24601, et cetera. Um, <laughs> uh, Euphrema's conflict feels like it's, um, that, that, that's a, I guess that's a question, right? Like we've established, what do you think Euphrema's central conflict is? Like right now or overall in the show? Overall, right? Because Riley's is about a quest for identity. Bev's, to me, from the discussions I've had with Emma, is a question of where do I belong? Community. Mm -hmm. I guess, like, I think if we go back to the, like, character episode, I think the main thing we touched on was Euphrema's what am I missing out on? Like, she's not at home with family. Like, yeah, like um, Riley does. She's not like really experiencing herself as much anymore because she has that idea. It's so, like Riley has Taco Tuesday, right? Like yep. there's and like, you know, l- little things with the family and all that. And like Euphrema's choice to leave all that behind. The, that, I like the central conflict being like the pull of normalcy versus the desire to know. Yeah. And like playing off Bev, like Euphrema has such a solid idea of who she is that it doesn't really get questioned. Mm-hmm. So there's not that inward element of exploration for her. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about the character. Like, um, you know, relating this back to other Monster of the Week shows, right? Like, if you take the archetype of, like, and I apologize for this, but like, a lot of when you get down to it, 
like the central conflict of Dean Winchester's character is built around his long-standing desire to just lead a normal life that destiny keeps preventing him from doing. You know, like when Sam is in hell in season six, season five, end of season five, beginning of season six, Dean, instead of continuing to hunt, becomes like a mechanic and a stepdad. He starts mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. And like when he's faced with the fact that he has to keep going, it's sort of a miserable thing for him. And I wonder if there's some bit of similarity for Euphrema that comes at a certain point where you keep getting pulled back in when you come to the realization that, hey, maybe I don't want to do this forever. Yeah, possibly. I think that'd be very cool to explore. Um, now, the other thing I do want to just mention, um, when we said Papa DeLuca Jr. is a fifth dimensional being, I want to be clear that Papa DeLuca Jr. and Papa DeLuca's hot dog pizza is going to show up in every single mystery, <laughs> no matter where you are. I can't wait. I'll uh, be sure to keep the voice uh, ready. Because I don't think Euphrema's had that yet. She's only heard about it. Mm -hmm. And Riley's only heard about it, too. It's only Bev who's actually been to Papa DeLuca's. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a pretty good spot for us to end this episode. Um, I think this was fun. Yeah, I had fun with this. I am and well, looking forward to seeing sorry, go ahead. what happens next, for sure. I have spent my morning very specifically working on some of the details for the next mystery. Um, and I'm very excited for where it goes, because I think I figured out the thing that I needed to make it a good Monster of the Week mystery and not just a mediocre X-Files episode that, like, a season eight X-Files episode. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the show is called Monster of the Week. Uh, the, the game is Monster of the Week because y it, it revolves around you having a central monster. You really can't do a mystery without a central monster. Right. So I'm very excited. I think it'll be a fun story. Very much looking forward to it. I was agonizing over how long it was between recording sessions for this. Like, I want to do this. I want to do the mystery. I want to solve it. <laughs> I want to see what happens. <laughs> Um, I don't think Emma's working next Sunday, so we could record again. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm um, never opposed to getting ahead. But okay. Exactly. Okay, so anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. We sure didn't. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's the wrong show. Remember, uh, Chicks with Chicks with Dice is brought to you by the delicious, refreshing taste of Topo Chico, mineral water carbonated straight from the source out of Monterey, Mexico. Um, send me free bottles. Now, worth noting, the Tobo Chico hard seltzer is not the same water. Uh, not at all. I can't believe they sold out like that. So what you should do instead is buy regular Topo Chico. It's great for making cocktails. And add vodka. Yeah. <laughs> or like <laughs> distilled malt liquor. Other things. Tequila. Tequila is a good substitute for vodka. Triple sack. Gin. Good in a Caesar. Quadruple sack. Quintuple sack. Anyway, I'm going to stop recording. Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. 
Tricks with Dice is a part of Danger Square Productions. To support the work we do, visit our website, dangersquare.ca. Monster of the Week is written by Michael Sands and published by Evil Hat Productions. Remember, the best way to help the show is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, or to tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is the number one way a podcast gains new listeners, and coming in at a close second are five-star reviews. Theme song for Disaster Lesbian's Guide to the Apocalypse and Disaster Lesbian's Guide to Disaster Lesbian's Guide to the Apocalypse is My Mommy Dom Spit in My Mouth and Now I'm a Commie by Over My Dead Name. Visit linktr.ee slash omdn for Allison's other work. This episode features Aaron Cotter. Aaron uses they-them pronouns. It also featured 40 Under 40 gay luminary Erica Belsas. Erica uses any all pronouns. And, of course, me, Kathleen Hislop. I use she, her, and it, its pronouns. Until next time, keep an eye out for anything weird.